The climate is changing. So are we. I'm Laura Lynch, and I host What on Earth? That's CBC's Climate Solutions podcast. Twice a week, we take you around the world to find the people who are trying to build a better future for all of us. We explore Indigenous science, new technologies. We talk openly about mental health and climate anxiety. We also take your smart questions all the time. Come find What on Earth wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. (laughs) You're welcome. Thanks. This is Now or Never, the show that celebrates what it takes to try and reminds you that you are not alone when you do. I am Ifi Chiwetelu, and today in the studio, I am not alone. I have some guests with me. Uh, Hi, my name is Fatima, and I'm eight years old, and I'm in grade three. Uh, My name is Baden. I'm nine years old, and I'm in grade four. My name is Rahma Shafi, and these are my two lovely daughters, Baden and Fatima. Rahma is a producer on the Now or Never team, but today she is strictly here as a guest because it is a big moment for her and her kids. A few months ago, Rahma banned the popular gaming platform Roblox from their home. But today, they are finally getting it back. So girls, I know that we've been talking about Roblox and, and I I took away Roblox for many months, couple months now, right? Yeah. And so Fatima, especially for you, I have your iPad. The reason why I brought the iPad is because I wanna I want you I wanna trust you again, you know? Okay, so there's your <laughs> Roblox. Fatima's very excited to have it back. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I'm joining my favorite game, Adopt Me. Oh. I have lots of pets. Yeah. And neons. It looks like this. And you can friend people who you know. And Hoya, can I tell you something? Um, next time, um, can, I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be better next time. Okay. Rafa had her reasons for taking the game away. Roblox is an online gaming platform where you can create and customize avatars with different outfits. You can even own pets. You can also have conversations or play games with friends and strangers. A few months ago, both Fatima and Baden were scammed on the platform. There's this person that walked up to me. I had like a pet that was called like a frost dragon or something. And then someone said, oh, I love your pet. Can we trade? And then I said, sure. So we traded pets, but I was expecting like a fair, a fair trade, but no. I gave that person my dragon and they just gave me like a starter pet. Hmm. And... And then I said, wait, why? What, this, this isn't fair. Why, why did you give me this? Um, they just left the server. So I was pretty confused. I, I just didn't understand. Okay, so let me break this down. Anything you buy in the Roblox world costs Robux, which you get by spending real world money. So suggesting a trade and not giving something equivalent in return is like trading a luxury car for a bus pass. Ultimately, you're losing money. Roblox is like any online platform. It can be safe, but there are risks. People have had personal information, including credit card details, stolen and used. There have also been predators on the site trying to lure children. 
After Rahma's kids were scammed and she learned of all the other risks on the platform, she shut it all down. This was their first experience of being ripped off, you know? My knee-jerk reaction was, take it away, like, just remove. But I realized that this is an opportunity for them to learn about what fairness is, what it looks like, even in a game like yeah. this for children, you know? And so I tried to now extract some mini lesson from it because, yeah, they I don't want them having losing hope and, and people are losing faith or thinking people are out there to get them. I still want them to be able to play in that way that they, in that spirit that they did yeah. before, you know? So that was kind of what I, I feared, but I've talked to them since then. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. are What are those conversations that you've had with your mom about when you're online and you need to be careful she told me about catfishing when someone tries to be someone that they're not um they try to act like they're like a kid but in reality they're just some 40 year old man mm-hmm. uh <laughs> i think that came from my mouth i'm sorry that's that's <laughs> wow straight from the horse's mouth yeah oh, okay With catfishing you. Yeah, 101 you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah be careful Nobody is safe from being scammed these days. In fact, it is estimated that last year, Canadians lost over $554 million in fraud schemes. And who knows how big that number really is because most people who are scammed don't report it. The impact of being defrauded isn't just financial. Today on Now or Never, you will meet guests who are finding a way forward after being scammed. Like a woman who is trying to heal from the heartbreak of a relationship that never really existed. You know, like the way he's talking, so soft, so nice, make you falling mm-hmm. in love because I never have happened talking to me like that. Like, hi, honey, good morning, honey. Sweet. I never have it happen. Find out what happens when one woman tries to scam the scammer. The phone rang. The young fellow said, hi, Grandma. And I said, who is this? And he says, oh, come on, Grandma, you know who it is. And then for some reason, I thought, okay, let's play. And what else is lost when Indigenous art is faked? How many artists that could have been are not? Because the reality is you still need to be able to sell pieces to make a living. And as a, as a young guy, you're not competing with other artists now. You're competing with all the overseas pieces. This is Now or Never. It's a scam! Did you ever think that this was possible for you? Like, No. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was smarter than that. And uh, that um, has been a life, uh, life lesson, a hard life lesson. Yeah. And uh, I had a very comfortable life. <laughs> up until this point, mm-hmm. and it's certainly uh, been changed. Kim Stevens spent most of her life building towards a comfortable retirement. She saved, she built good credit. At 69, she never imagined that it would all come crashing down. I got a phone call, and uh, the gentleman said there's been a charge of $600 for purses and shoes uh, from California. Was that you? 
And I said no, and he said, just a moment, I'm transferring you to our anti-fraud department. Well, that was the beginning of the nightmare. There were never any charges from California on Kim's credit card. But the man on the phone convinced her that not only were there charges, but it was an inside job that someone from within the bank was stealing from people. So he asked her if she would help him catch the fraudster. And Kim was eager to help, even if that meant moving money from her account. What they ended up doing was uh, transferring money out of my personal line of credit into my checking account. So when I would go on their direction to the ATM and withdraw 1500 in cash, I would see that there was an additional $10,000 in my checking account. So I thought, oh, well, this is legit because they're putting money in my account. And then I would take money out uh, on many occasions. I'd start with the ATM of taking out the max of 1500 And then I would go into the bank and withdraw um, either three or $4,000 in cash. And did this, oh, I'm thinking it was pro- at least four times. And nowhere in that process did a teller ever flag this. This was every day. Every day. This went on for three weeks every day and it was uh, I found out it was I was being scammed because I called a girlfriend and was sharing with her some of the information because of course you're told oh don't share this we don't know who is actually involved so so when did you start to realize or when did you start to think that maybe this isn't legitimate well, it was talking to a girlfriend and sharing some of the uh, some of the story about what I was involved in. And she goes, don't tell me anymore. I know exactly what you're going to say. And she proceeded to tell me what, <laughs> what I was doing and that exactly the same thing had happened to a girlfriend of hers. When, when your girlfriend said to you, like, this isn't good. This happened to a friend of mine. I know exactly the playbook. What, mm-hmm. what was your reaction? That's not something I can say over the radio or anywhere else. But I quick, I I flipped out. I really flipped out. And uh, I was in panic mode and called my uh, charge card company. And it was at that point I found out that um, uh, over $49,000 had been transferred out of my personal line of credit without my knowledge. It was dark. <laughs> I, I, I did a lot of pacing. I did a lot of sleepless nights, um, not eating. I immediately developed a cold sore. Um, so there were, were lots of physical symptoms um, and just loss of trust in humans. I'm so sorry, Kim. Thanks. Did you need to take a second, grab some water? Uh, sure. Yeah. One of my greatest joys in life has been helping other people, and this has really turned that on its head um, and created a lot of uh, lack of trust of others as a result of what happened. 
So I become very cautious um, of, of, of trusting. And at one point, uh, I really thought I'd never help another person again, which in itself, as you can tell by my voice, um, was um, heartbreaking. Have you, has it made you lose trust in yourself? Oh, for sure. Hmm. I question my ability to read situations and people. Did it feel possible to open up to the loved ones in your life about what was happening with, for you? Um, after it happened, certainly. I've done what I can to start educating people, uh, my friends, family, and uh, community where I live have been very supportive of me. Was it hard to start telling people what happened? No, no, not at all. That was actually something I wanted to do from the beginning. I do. I want my goal now is to do what I can to educate other people of this. And the more we share that um, information and how it happened, the more aware people are. Mm -hmm. And there's been another benefit to you in sharing. You've you've had some people in your life want to offer some help. How has your community supported you through this? Well, uh, I keep hearing, you know, don't feel stupid. Um, my, this happened to my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, my friend. Again, I, I'm talking to you because I want to do what I can to get the word out about we need to talk about this. We need to talk about the ways it happens so that it doesn't happen to other people. Kim is in the process of filing for bankruptcy as a result of losing $58,000 in this scam. She's filed an ombudsman complaint against her former bank and is committed to sharing information with others to help them protect themselves. The Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre says that if someone calls you from a financial institution, government agency, or law enforcement, you should hang up and call that organization back at a number that you know is theirs to make sure it's a legitimate phone call. When Indigenous art gets appropriated, it's not just an artist not being compensated for their work. It's a culture being stolen. My wife and I were having a night out. We were in a casino in Vancouver, and she was playing a slot machine. And I, as I'm sitting there watching, I you know, noticed the little reel comes around, and I, I looked at the screen, and I was like, that's my mask. <laughs> it was like, my mask was on this, on this thing. So I, I took a picture of it, and it's like, sure enough, this thing was a, a perfect match. So I had to start digging deeper into where and how did that happen, and and I kind of had to let it go, you know. It's like I don't have a, you know, huge budget to fight the largest slot machine company in the world. So, with or without a budget, Northwest Coast carver Jason Henry Hunt is finding a way to fight back by spreading the word about fraudulent Indigenous art. You'll hear more from him later on the show.
This is Now or Never. I'm Ifi Chiwetelu, and today we are diving into the world of scams, fraudulent schemes meant to take something from you. And multiple times a day, I receive phone calls or text messages that I know are fake. Duct cleaning services, which I don't need because I live in an apartment, fake delivery notices for items I haven't ordered. And just this morning, I received a text message from Martine saying, hey, can I call you? And I know that one is fake because my real friends know I don't pick up the phone. I never engage with messages or phone calls like these, and you shouldn't, unless you're Bonnie. My husband was out. I was home alone. And uh, the phone rang, and the, uh, the young fellow said, hi, Grandma. And I said, who is this? And he says, oh, come on, Grandma, you know who it is. And then for some reason, I thought, okay, let's play. Because I knew it was a scam. I had seen it on media before. I was aware of the grandparent scam. So I thought, let's play. I had nothing better to do that day. Bonnie Bidnarek is a 75-year-old great-grandmother living in Windsor, Ontario. And over the years, Bonnie has received many phone calls from someone claiming to be her grandson, saying he's in trouble and needs cash. Now, normally, Bonnie hangs up on these phone scammers. But that day, Bonnie decided to do something a little different. Well, I said, is that you, Charlie? Knowing that I don't have a grandson named Charlie. He said, yes, Grandma, it's me. I've been in an accident. I was in Dave's car. Dave had drugs in the glove compartment, and they've arrested me. And I need $9,300 to get out of jail. Yeah, really? Okay. And I just kept playing along. It's not something I would have normally done. It was just the day when I said I've had enough of this, and one thing just led to the next. And I said, sorry, that's a lot of money, and I don't know if I can get that right away. And he said, well... Grandma, I'm really in trouble and I need help. And I said, okay, well, let me let me call the bank and see if I can get that much money out. And he said, okay, okay, well, I'll call you back in 10 minutes. I said, okay. So in the meantime, that 10 minutes, I called the police. I told them I had a scammer on the line. Were they interested in, in catching them? Luckily enough, they, they did have time that day. Two officers came to the house. Uh, waiting for the call to come in. So he did call back, and I said, okay, the bank will let me have the money, but Grandpa's gone bowling, and I I don't have a car, so I have to wait. So I bought myself another hour by saying that, and that allowed the police to, to get everything set up, ready for them, set up surveillance down the street. And uh, sure enough, I kept them on the line. I get them aligned, and they they caught them. They caught them in a car, and they found um, two envelopes in the car. One was 10,000, and one was 6,000. That they had scammed people earlier in the day. Luckily, they were able to get that money back to the owners, to the victims. And so that was basically it. My heart was pounding, and after it happened, I was really unsettled. I ended up installing cameras on my house, and I was very nervous when the phone rang because it was uh, not something you do every day. 
involved with criminals. I mean, these scammers, you know, I was kind of angry. I thought, I'm just going to play along and see where this is going to go. Never thinking it was going to go that far. The case of the quick-thinking, scam-busting grandmother made headlines around the world. But what came next surprised Bonnie even more. What happened next is um, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre reached out to me because of all the media attention to what happened to me. And they asked me if I would like to be a volunteer working with seniors who were victims of fraud. I was kind of reluctant at first, but then I thought, well, I'm contributing to helping people um, with fraud and, and victims. So, so I thought, why not? I'm helping people in some way. So meet Bonnie Bidnarek, the volunteer recruit with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. Three hours a week, you will find her sitting at her kitchen table with her headset and laptop, counseling other senior citizens who've been victims of fraud. I'm assigned cases. I offer them any help. Basically, a shoulder to lean on. It's, you know, when you've been victimized, you're traumatized, especially seniors. I mean, in many cases, they don't want to talk to me. And sometimes they just want to forget about it. And sometimes they haven't told their family. They, many of them say, I feel so stupid that I did that. I should have known better. I tell them not to be embarrassed because it's happening everywhere. That many people have gone through the same thing and you have nothing to be embarrassed about. And I usually tell them because if it's a grandparent scam, you acted with your heart and there's nothing wrong or nothing to be embarrassed about that. I always tell them that because they did. Well, I hear stories where people have been wiped out financially. I mean, they saved all their lives. And I I think more than that, it's that it's their heart reaching out. You know, their heart is being attacked. It's, I don't know. And and it's heart-wrenching, you know. When people are out thousands and thousands of dollars, it's, it's not easy, you know, because... They, they think I'm calling to maybe to give them back their money or that I found their money, but it's a tough job. I think we've all lost trust. We're not confident on anything we come across. I mean, it's made me very um, skeptical. So you, you, you lose your trust. That's a hard thing to swallow, you know? If I can get the message out to everybody, to all the seniors, and everybody, not just seniors, that they need to be on their guard. And in my family, we have a code. If anything like this happens, if you're ever in need, we have a code. Just save a code and we'll know it's legitimate because the scam's going around right now. You just don't know. My number one advice is to ask questions. Something that only the child or grandchild will know. What's your middle name? What's your birthday? What's what's our dog's name? Just ask a question if they think for a minute that it's legitimate. My other advice is don't answer the phone unless you know who's calling. And I try to educate my husband and I say trying because he loves to talk. 
not to answer the phone if you don't recognize the number. And I said, if it's important, they'll leave a message and we'll just call them back. But um, I haven't been too successful at that, but still trying. May future scammers be afraid of a senior with time on her hands. Still to come on Now or Never, one of the most costly scams in the country is a romance scam. Someone fakes a relationship with you with the intent to steal money. I'm going to talk to a woman who is still healing from being scammed, but thinks she's ready to look for love again. This is Now or Never. I am Ifi Chiwetelu. And I am Davis. Don't worry, I am not replacing Trevor Deneen. He'll be back next week. But it's an honor to be here with the kindest, smartest, most beautiful person I've ever met. Oh my God, Davis, that is so sweet of you to say. Thank you. You programmed me to say that. I'm not real. My voice is generated by a fake voice generator you found online. <sighs> Davis... You may not be real, but everything out of your mouth is is facts. (laughs) This week on Now or Never, we are diving into the world of scams. And I am not savvy with AI or anything like that. But creating Davis took me five minutes, maybe a little longer, because of course I had to make voices say all sorts of things. The award for best actress on a podcast goes to Ifi Chiwetelu. It is getting easier and more common to create a fake in the world whether that's a fake voice, a fake identity, or a fake piece of art. On a tree-lined street in downtown Victoria, in a vibrant gallery filled with paintings, sculptures, and masks, artist Jason Henry Hunt and gallery owner Mark Loria are admiring an authentic Northwest Coast carving. Look at how it marries up this transformation mask. It's like perfect. That's an amazing piece. Yeah, transformation masks have two stories they're transforming and they have a movement to them they usually have an outer mask that opens up into an inner mask an inner story i actually like how he's got the gray on this he's got the like the lighter gray underneath and then the top yeah he wanted that to represent the ocean he told me again it's authentic you can tell you just need to look closely it's just perfectly done in generations of experience These generations of experience are very familiar to Jason. He comes from a long line of Quagyul carvers, going back to his great-grandfather, the influential artist Mungo Martin. You know, I'm sitting here carving, you know, learning from my dad and my uncles, but they learned from grandpa, we learned from great-grandpa. It was illegal for a good 75 years. When that all lifted, uh, Mungo Martin, my great-grandfather, created the Mungo Martin House here in Victoria and opened it up with the first, you know, public potlatch at that time. When I was a kid, you know, I'd sit there and, you know, watch my dad carve or my grandpa carve and all that, and you would literally be playing in the wood chips. And people would ask you, you know, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I always said, I'm going to be a carver, just like my dad. They have a legacy that they've passed on to somebody like myself, who's been, you know, carving for a living for 33 years now. 
So I'm sitting here and I'm following in their footsteps. Jason's work ranges from totem poles and large-scale panels to paintings, masks, and jewelry. Part of what makes his work so special is the time and care he puts into each and every piece. Carving is, you need a lot of patience. We make it look easy, you know, you sit down with a block of wood and you start adzing away or knifing away and all this, and it's like, wow, that, that looks, anybody could do it. But the reality is that you need a ton of patience for this. And not everybody has that. Using too many power tools sort of takes away from the spirit of my work. So I tend to, you know, knife finish all my work. I don't really use a lot of sandpaper. I just, I like the look of it. I like the feel of it. I feel like uh, I've, I've put in the heart and soul into it. So it feels good. For as long as Jason has been carving, he's been working just as tirelessly on something else battling the market of fraudulent Northwest Coast artwork that has flooded gift shops and even some galleries. It has become big business. It, you know, it's exploded. There's every avenue that you can think of that somebody could exploit, uh, they have. So whether that's, you know, T-shirts and letter openers and all sorts of stuff, right up to full-size masks and totem poles and everything else, it's out there. I was up in Banff and Jasper and places like that recently. And, you know, gift shops are chock full of, you know, pieces that are from overseas that they are selling as this is legitimate Northwest Coast artwork. And it's not. And nobody over here has ever even touched it. You know, there's, there's different avenues of this, of, you know, cultural appropriation and right up to actual just copyright theft. You know, if I sat there and make a mask, I immediately have copyright on my own mask, which is all fine. But the second that somebody actually steals that from me, there's very little that I can actually do to enforce it. My wife and I were having a night out. We were in a casino in Vancouver and she was playing a slot machine. And I, as I'm sitting there watching, I you know, noticed the little reel comes around and I, I looked at the screen and I was like, that's my mask. <laughs> <laughs> it was like my mask was on this on this thing, so I, I took a picture of it, and it's like sure enough, this thing was a, a perfect match. So I had to start digging deeper into where and how did that happen, and I uh, traced it to the guy that I sold it to, and he sold it to somebody down in the states, and it turned out that person's husband uh, works for one of the biggest slot machines down there, and I kind of had to let it go. You know, it's like I don't have a you know huge budget to fight the largest slot machine company in the world. So that's the typical kind of story. Whether they think about it or not, or whether it's on purpose or not, you know, they'll just steal it from you. Back at the Mark Loria Gallery in downtown Victoria, Jason and Mark have some tips for you when it comes to spotting authentic work and avoiding the fakes. Have you ever had people show up here with stuff that's like reproduction pieces? Yes. yes, and they're obviously overseas, the wrong kind of grain in the wood, not signed. It's never a name attached. You should be able to Google pretty much anybody. You know, big red flag if you Google somebody's name and zero comes up. Definitely. Most of the time the knockoff stuff is mahogany. It's hollowed out very smoothly in the back, like just a sort of a dome kind of thing. That's not common here at all. The quality of the painting or, or the actual paint that's being used, uh, the colors. Sometimes they're 
even to the untrained eye, they're garish colors that don't make any sense. And I find some of those overseas pieces are oversized. And I guess the red flag on that is, you know, if you're looking at something and you can buy it the same piece in small, medium, and large, that's a red flag. No artist is sitting around going, I'm going to create the piece in uh, three inch form, 12 inch form, and 20 inch form. That's not a legitimate carver is going to do that. We all need to work harder and ask questions and you know, refer to artists and artist families. This should never happen. No. It should never happen. It's more than just authenticity. It's, it's about protecting the culture. You know, when we look at the true history of Canada, uh, colonialism in Canada, it just adds to the suffering, right? It's like, it's beyond lost opportunities. It's denouncing the history of First Nations people. How many artists that could have been are not? Because the reality is you still need to be able to sell pieces to make a living and you know people still have to pay their rents and all these kind of things. As a, as a young guy, you're not competing with other artists now, you're competing with all the overseas pieces. I think about in the scheme of things, even right now, there's probably only maybe a few hundred carvers here on the coast. It's, it's probably gonna dwindle. So is there a threat that it just goes away? I mean, it's definite possibility. Um, what's this going to look like in 50 years? What's it going to look like in 100? That's what I worry about. You know, I don't have anybody in, in my studio that I'm teaching to carve. I haven't had anybody thinking about it recently. But on the plus side, my daughter is seven, and she says she wants to be an artist like her daddy. So, <laughs> I, uh, you know, you never know. I'm not going to push her towards it if that's what she wants to do when she gets older then that's great but she is a great little artist to be honest she's a great drawer she's very creative so you never know she definitely gets it from her dad because jason's carvings are stunning we will share some photos and videos with you on our cbc now or never facebook and instagram to take a look and not copy don't be that person. He's not bad. Okay, but let's click this one and see what their interests are. He looks sweet. It's yeah, okay. Look at yeah. some of his interests. Watching movie, fitness, cooking, work. That's good because I know I don't know how to cook. <laughs> in her apartment in downtown Toronto, Cindy Brown, her friend Kimmy, and I are on the couch huddled around a laptop, checking out the online profiles of seniors who have RSVP'd for a social event on the weekend. Cindy has her eye on romance, but Kimmy wants her to be careful. So you want to fire the boyfriend again? Not boyfriend, to meet the friends. <laughs> to meet the friend before we start okay, called boyfriend. Yeah. These days, Cindy is all for taking things slow when it comes to love. In fact, this is the first time in years that she has even considered meeting someone because Cindy is still recovering from a broken heart. In 2020, a man commented on her TikTok channel, introducing himself as Fabian. You know, he was thought very nice online, you know, and then he thought about his life. 
that he was married and his wife dying. He had one son. He told me he's working as a pilot. So we end up talking, chatting. He end up texting me almost day, night, non-stop. And then I, I feel happy, like the, yeah. someone to chatting on the line. What were your conversations like? He said the story of my life almost the same, he said. Almost. So I believe it, you know, and then... Because you and, felt like you had something in common. Yeah, I thought yeah. I had something in common because, you know, uh, men have sweet talk, right? Mm -hmm. We chatting over two months, and then he stopped falling in love for me. Mm -hmm. And how about you? Were you falling and in love I with start, him? And then I said, really, because I never see, you know, like the way he talking, so soft, so nice, make you falling mm -hmm. in love because I never have happened talking to me like that like a hi honey good morning honey Sweet. i never have it happen so suddenly when i chatting with him he always said good morning queen good morning honey what you do what you have for breakfast and then how work you know i never have people talk to me or chat to me like that that must have felt so good yeah i feel so good about it it sounds good to me. For six months, Fabian sent Cindy heartfelt text message after heartfelt text message, never speaking to her on the phone or over video, always having a reason that he couldn't. But one day, Fabian sent a message saying he was ready to pack up his life and move to Canada to be with her, and that he was sending her a gift. Because he got so much miss me, love me and then I also say I love you too I miss you too you know I can't wait to see you and then he said honey my love he said uh, this gift will be coming to you but I have to pay and you then have I, to pay yeah I have to pay when they're arriving and a couple of days later I was at work someone called me they said I'm the delivering company, and uh, you have to pay if you want to receive this gift. Fabian said he put some money in there, like $150,000 US for him to settle in Canada. He was going to be suspended, me going to be trouble if I don't pay that $1,500. I said, okay. Convinced that $150,000 for her future with Fabian was in that package, Cindy continued to take money out of her bank and send it to the alleged courier company who continued to up the price. In total, Cindy sent $26,000, her entire savings. Cindy never spoke about her relationship with Fabian with anyone. It was only when she had completely run out of money and was stressed that a customer at the car wash where she worked asked her what was wrong. Cindy shared the whole story. That customer was a police officer and he took her to report it. Five days later, he let her know that Fabian wasn't real and she was the victim of a scam. Even though this happened three years ago, the heartbreak still feels fresh. Cindy pulls out her phone to show me the photo she still looks at 
because her love for the man she knew as Fabian was very real. Dr. Fabian Hakim, I was in bed with him for two years. Yeah, he's, a, he's a young guy. He, is, he, he said he's 45 years old, but I don't believe he's 45. I mean, he looks 20-something in these yeah. pictures, yeah. And you say you still look at the pictures sometimes? Sometimes I took a picture sometimes. I'm still thinking about him. And what do you feel when you look now and see these pictures? How does it make you feel? I, I feel very upset. And you know, I feel broken heart. Not only broken heart, plus he made me broke. He made me have no single dime. And then, because of this thinking, stress, and I got sick. He took a lot from you. Yeah, a lot's happened to me. Even now, if I mention about his name, I still cry because I got feelings there. Sometimes I look in the mirror, talking to by myself. Who wants you, Cindy? You're old, you're sick. You know, that's what I'm thinking. You feel like you don't have anything to offer? Uh, if I'm lucky, you know, if someone really to approach me, and then I'm scared it will be happen again. You've had you've had a really rough time. Yeah, I just had a trying rough time to not be life. lonely. With the, the yeah. Because mostly my friends said forgot the past. You know, how you forgot the past? I don't think we need to forget it. I think we can learn from it. Yeah, and bring that with you. Yeah. But people will ask, you know, in your life, when they're really serious to what you, and then they will ask, right? And then if I tell it, they probably feel cold. Can I tell you, I believe the right people won't run from your past. No? I think so. I think the right people will say, I'm really sorry that happened, and will stay. And the ones who run, good. You're not good enough for Cindy. <laughs> well, I'll give a try to see you on Sunday. In the end, Cindy wasn't feeling well enough to go to the seniors' brunch on Sunday. But she is looking after her health and her heart before heading out and trying to find love again. This is Now or Never. I'm Ifi Chiwetelu. And today, hearing from people who have had their hearts broken, trust betrayed, and bank accounts emptied, it can be easy to start to feel increasingly unsafe in this world. But every day, people take risks with strangers that do pay off. When Sele Akere moved from Nigeria to Kelowna to study, he was scouring the internet for a place to live. And that's when an ad by Bill Pittman caught his attention. He posted a picture of the house and said, I have a, um, I'm looking for like an international student to help um, find a place in Canada. For me, I thought, oh, I finally found a room that's really cheap. I'll go for it. And everybody's like, no, that's probably a scam. Don't go for it. It's, pretty, it's too cheap. And I was like, yeah, it did sound too good to be true. It wasn't just the low rent that made the ad seem like a scam. Another international student from Nigeria, Dipo Keshola, found Bill's Facebook profile to be a bit concerning. 
because you know when you want to make sure something is is calm or not you check the profiles i remember like looking at it like biker so there's bill okay so he got the harley davidson he's like he puts his hand on it he's kind of like bending down with the bandana he, he looks like he could challenge you to a, an arm wrestle and easily win you that's he looked tough he looked really tough and and i was like the biker guy can i can i trust the biker guy <laughs> and i was like asking myself what would a what would a canadian biker guy want to do with an african student like in the head i was like don't you guys don't you guys don't like africans <laughs> bill actually when you get to meet him he's a he's a softy my name is bill pittman i'm 75 years young and i host international students on their arrival in canada He's a softy, yeah, he's a softy. I mean, putting soft flowers on the table every morning, having spring onions in the garden, fresh tomatoes, doing all those, you know, garden work. Fresh flowers, fresh flowers. For someone that has a bike on his, on his Facebook, I'm like, come on, come on. <laughs> Depot moved in with Bill last fall, and Sele has been here for more than a year. In total, Bill has hosted 26 students over the past nine years, all of whom reached out and took a shot at living with a stranger. Just a note, this next part, Bill mentions thoughts of suicide. We always find a place. Um, I won't see an international student come here on a budget, arrive in August and pay $400 a night for a hotel. I won't have it. So we always make room. I was, I was married for 38 years and raised two fine sons. But my wife and I went different ways. <clears throat> my sons grew up. I woke up one morning all alone in a big empty house. It was, it was a solitary confinement. I was desperately lonely. I had the permanent solution in mind. I was I was going to end my life. I had it all figured out how that was going to happen. This this loneliness is 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 the worst disease a person can have. We're not intended to to, to live solo, and it took me a it took me a while to figure out um, that. First of all, this addresses my loneliness. To hear somebody rattle pots and pans in the kitchen or to hear the door close, or people come and go, some simple humanity around me is very heartwarming and it's, and it's um, reassuring. You know, like I keep telling people, when one door closes, another one opens. And one of those doors that opened was Bill's house for me, actually. And that really, from there, that is when things not really changed for me. Now I can say, oh, I'm growing better. Get I know more because of him. I've improved financially and mentally, and everything is like much easier for me now. Well, it's been very fulfilling, very rewarding. I have a purpose. I think a lot of senior people, after they've raised their raised their children and maybe their partner has died, they don't have a purpose. They just probably struggle along day after day and eat and sleep and play. Uh, crib. I have a purpose. I'm busy all the time. It's kept me young. It's kept me healthy. 
And uh, sometimes it's pretty hard to find room for a quart of milk in the fridge. These two were out shopping last night, and now the freezer is... I think we could probably get a couple of toothpicks in there. <laughs> we first shared that story a few months ago, and since then, Dipo and Sele are doing well and have since moved into their own apartments. And Bill, he has welcomed a new student from Kenya. On a show all about scams, which so often target our hearts and desires to help people, you might be thinking it is hard to put your heart out there. But people still do it every single day, and that's where we'd like to hear from you. And no, this isn't a scam. We're planning an episode in a few weeks all about the lengths we go to for love. Romantic love, platonic love, all the things we do to find it, keep it, and make it strong. So what are you doing right now in the name of love? Tell us about the lengths you're going to find it. Maybe you're ditching online dating and placing your profile on a bus bench, just like I saw one time in Winnipeg. Or maybe you're moving halfway around the world to be with a friend. Or maybe you're planning a grand gesture to show someone just how much they mean to you. Tell us how you are pouring love on your friends, neighbors, coworkers, family, lovers right now. Email us at nowornever at cbc.ca with the subject line, I did it for love. Thanks to the Scam Hunting Now or Never team, Bridget Forbes, Katie Swales, Rahma Shafi, Sarah Tate, Tanera McLean, and Michaela Van Kooten. Extra special thanks to Stevie Welland and Betsy Trumpener. I am Ifi Chiwetelu, hosting solo without Trevor Deneen this week, but he will be back next time. Take care. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.